things are heating up here at Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds, bringing you your murder mystery world tour, discussing Naomi Hirahara's Sayonara Slam, which has got to be one of the catchiest titles we've had on the show thus far, Herds. Despite having little to do with the actual mystery, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, we are discussing chapters 7 to 11 this week. And can I make can I make a very uh, frightening confession? Always. Perhaps the the whitest that I've I've ever felt. Always tell me what is your confession. Step into my my booth. Tell me. Confess your sins. I thought that Sayonara was like a a Spanish word. What? Why? <laughs> Flex, come on! <laughs> I'm supposed to be the uncultured one here who's always offending people. <laughs> Are you trying to steal my bit? Is this what's happening? Come I, on now. I, it was one of those things where when it was brought up in the novel for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Why oh did I, goodness. like, forget that? Because I've definitely heard it before. Uh. But I guess just, like, it, it's just been ingrained in my brain in this, like, different context that I don't know why. The, the, the equivalent in, in Spanish is adios, which is yeah. also a, a great word. But not that similar to Sayonara. They no, absolutely not. I wasn't, like, confusing <laughs> the words. It just, like, I guess because I always hear people say Sayonara with, like, you know, the the country and Western thing, I'd kind of associated sure. it with that kind of era of, of media and kind of had tied, you know, Mexico and Spain into it, ex- like, by extension. But I don't know what sure. happened there. Anyway, <laughs> that's a tangent on a different matter entirely. This I'm book heads. Mm-hmm. Has uh has gone up to another another notch. Yeah, it has. It's exploded. Uh, no, no pun intended there. <laughs> um, yeah, this novel goes from cozy to slightly less cozy to like, how are we how are we dealing with these issues? What is happening? Why is Mars being threatened by yep. thugs in a back street? You were, you were saying last week that this book was like maybe targeted towards younger readers, like you know, yeah. younger than younger than twenty and something. And I was like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And then we get into this part, and it's like, and we're talking about the the comfort women from the war and I know, the way right? the prisoners of war were abused. And it's like, it's oh my so god, weird. this is the thing. The tone of this novel, for the most part, is very soft, right? Like it is the sort of thing that I I would read to my little my little grandchildren, but there are some chapters that I would have to skip over in their entirety, and then just not finish the book. Like like yeah, Masurai himself is is such a cozy boy, and I I can't help but feel that the way that it's written is such a, a strict extension of of Naomi and and her own personal experience because she um she's the sort of author that I feel doesn't try to put on a voice if that makes sense she, she's not trying to like it's it's kind of a funny comment in the context of uh the very vocally written language in the book but you're totally yes, right but the narration is her it's her she's like speaking as the character in a sense mm-hmm. the, the the tone of the novel is written from her perspective but she also has all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom and understanding and we've created this very strange uh almost volatile concoction. And in that sense, I think it's actually a, a, a novel that is very, very helpful for understanding what it's like to to age and to yeah. uh, look back on it, your own personal experiences with a, a, a more like broad mind, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
And it's as as definitely strange. old people who are aged and elderly and can relate to this experience. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to give some perspective, okay? Yeah, I'm no, but I, 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 think, I think that you're very much right. I think that this Thank book you. does a really good job of characterizing uh, a, a group of characters who are immobile. You know, when we yeah. go and we talk about Mrs. Kim, when we look at Maz's experience as he's like constantly weighing up whether or not he can actually do something in the yeah. way that he just hand waves things that would be so, uh, you know, so much a part of other mystery novels. Uh, oh my goodness. It's, it's just my, excellent. My favorite scene in the entire book is the thug scene. Oh, yeah. Because it's where we we fully bring to the forefront the, like, political undertones. They become overtones. And also, the, the way that the thugs, like, confront Mas, they're like, hey, you, are you with Japan or America? And he's like, I mean, I guess, like, I was born in America, so I guess I'm with America. And they're like, no, you can't be with America because they're <laughs> ruining everything. He's like, are they? I didn't know about that. Like- because in any other detective fiction, it would be, and then I use my psychological and like charismatic traits to win the thugs over to my side. Mas is just like answering very honestly, like I, I guess I'm like with America. Like I'm not sure what you're asking, sir. Could you please repeat the question? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's just a, it's a very honest book, and it's not, but it's not like trying to be honest. This is just. This is how Naomi writes. It's great. No, and I think it's also great because the way that the political undertones were introduced there is in a pretty goofy scene. Like it's a little yes. bit threatening, but it's you know, very- you, you can you can kind of feel that it's a safer scene because of the context of the novel. Yeah. Uh, but it yeah. is a bit of a threatening scene. And then when we get on later and we're talking with Tanji about his plans to go and become a politician, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is where we're going. It's a really nice way of abruptly stepping up the intensity of the novel without it feeling like you've been hit over the back of the head. For sure, for um, sure. You, you can kind of see it coming in, in the same way that Mars can, you know, bouncing off your point there about it being very honest. Like, you know uh, what you're getting in for, and as Mars starts to realize, like, oh, right, this is getting a bit above my pay grade. Oh, wait, I'm not getting paid anyway. <laughs> You Poor feel guy. like the book is leading you effectively into its raising intensity. We're really, we're following Mars and his, you know, personal experience throughout this whole dilemma, even when he's getting involved with these like politicians and like nationalist societies, the Zainichi, like there's all of these, these, these events and movements with huge implications for Japan and America working in the background and Mars is just kind of dipping his toe in. But as you say, though, uh, even in the most threatening scenes of this novel, I never feel like Mars's life is on the line. I never feel like he's actually going to, like, he's never going to get seriously injured. Um, mostly because he's too careful. You know, he's like, can I, can I actually make this run? Can I, you know, hop over this fence or whatever? Like, probably not. Maybe I shouldn't do that then. Maybe I'll just play it safe, you know. Um, so I, I never feel like Mars is at, at threat of like any serious consequences, but you do, you do on the other hand, feel the, uh, the, the consequences that he's already suffered and the life that he's already been through. Right. I do appreciate the kind of broader cast of characters. So many characters that it's, it's difficult to keep track of, honestly, um, uh, I, I do particularly like Amika who I know you, we brought up last week as you were like, she's very, like, big and tough and scary, but she probably isn't the criminal. I don't know. I There's something about, like, the energy that she brings to a given scene 
um, kind of opposing Yuki that I that I admire um, in particular there. The one thing I do like about Amika's character is that she has a very powerful presence in a scene, but Naomi also seems to really enjoy knocking her down a peg, but in a way that never undermines her presence. Yeah. It kind of feels weird in the context of, I guess, many other stories to see it, but there's moments where Amika's like pulling like lint that's fallen onto her dress off the side of it, and it it's like an, an aside in the scene. It's really basic, but I think that it kind of does well to make her less menacing for how uh, present of a character she is. Yeah, for sure. It really highlights that like attention to detail that she has, um, how like impeccable she's like trying to be. Yeah. Um, I think it also hints a little bit that she's like putting on a bit of a, not like, like she's still a very like strong willed person, but she's putting on a bit of a front because she is a part of the, the media circus yeah. and like trying to make it big in the journalistic side of things. Um, it's partly why actually when like, as we said last week, uh, this like this is a story with baseball in it, but it's really more about the media and the journalism. And I I always love reading about you know, especially because we're reading it you know an author's perspective on how the you know the newspaper reacts to a murder, how it's portrayed, and what details are released and what details are kept secret. We're not really dealing with corruption per se, at least you know not. Not in a direct way so far, but uh, seeing the way that these different caricatures of journalists run around and, um, you know, are, are definitely avoiding, you know, masses, masses questions and each other's skepticism, you know, because everybody is a suspect, even Yuki. I'm surprised you didn't suspect him at all last week, but even I, Yuki, oh, listen, you know, I suspected Yuki last week, but once I realized it was Sherlock and Watson, I had to drop it. <laughs> It was a, uh, it was a bit, it was a bit too much of a stretch for me, but yeah, no, going on to the journalism aspect, I think that it does really nicely and kind of connecting it back with Yatai, who was a journalist. When we start speaking with like Tanji, for example, who is, when I said last week that Sonny was the most suspicious character to the point, it felt too obvious. Tanji mm. he's like, ah, yes. And we shall restore <laughs> the lost honor of Japan at any cost. Yay. And you're like, all right. Okay. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> uh, but hey, nationalism, I love it was it. it was really interesting, kind of having these scenes going back, not like directly, but comparing Amika and her journalism uh, and her career and the struggles that she's had with Tanji, who's feels like he's had not not like a free ride, but he feels like he's kind of cruising on existing success, and he's like, yes, and now that I am wealthy at baseball, I shall do politics because I am an expert. Indeed. It's like, well, are, are you really? <laughs> don't, don't, don't really back that one. You just think you are, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of really great how this novel explores its themes, and I think particularly because of the close proximity with Tanji and his kind of nationalist rant to Amika and her kind of first really vulnerable scene in the novel where we start talking about Mrs. Kim. Sure. Uh, I think that those are really well placed to kind of show where the background ethics of the story diverge, that we can see that the strong menacing Amika is is putting up a front to do the right yeah. thing, whereas Tanji, the successful cool guy who does the baseball, you know, <laughs> doesn't really have the best head on his shoulders. I think that those scenes really nicely play off each other. Um, and we're, we're very well structured here. Yeah, Naomi actually does a really good job as an author of pairing up her characters, having 
you know, this, you know, X character be a foil to Y character who's a foil to Z character. And not even necessarily in the same scene, which is like really clean. Yeah. The character is the actual character dynamics in this novel, I think are really interesting. I almost wonder if, if it wasn't a murder mystery, if I'd have, have had an easier time when I went through this for the, for the first time through just like enjoying the characters. Mm. Um, I, I feel like it takes a couple of reads of this story to really, to really appreciate the intricacies of the, the different characters and their relationships with each other. I, I'd, I'd agree with the intricacies, but I think that if you go through with the mystery, not necessarily in mind, the characterization still really sticks out in a nice way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, uh, I mean, uh, th- there's a character who we haven't even mentioned uh, at all in this discussion named Lloyd, who is Master's <laughs> son-in-law, uh, yep. you know, the most important character. And literally, he, he is uh, the head groundskeeper at Dodger Stadium. I guess he's the whole reason that Master's is working there or is visiting there on the, the day of the murder. Yeah. But he's, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what he does. Uh, he's so, like, inconsequential to, to the actual mystery uh, maybe he's more prominent in the other books. I think so. I think it's also thematically in this novel that he, you know, he's indicative of what's happened to Mars's business in retirement because Mars was a gardener and now his son-in-law, also ostensibly a gardener, is like serving one of the largest facilities For sure. in Los Angeles. For sure. Can we give a shout out now that we're talking about like, like class and, and work there is a scene that I think was actually in the early part of the story, but that's okay, <laughs> where Mars is describing his job as a gardener and he's talking about how there is like this one house and it's the only it's the only garden that he actually looks after. And it legitimately it's it's like ten pages of just him describing the different ways that he wants to like fix up the garden. He's talking about how like I'm going to arrange the rocks in this way and plant these trees here and cut these weeds and it's like it's like <laughs> it's incredibly detailed i don't know if it's quite 10 pages but it definitely sticks around it's like multiple pages of him just talking about his life as a gardener and the intricacies of the profession and i love that we have time for that but not enough time for lloyd but <laughs> but we do have enough time to talk about Mas's like passion for gardening yeah which i love it's definitely one of the highlights of the book. I, I think that going back to what we were saying last week about it being very cozy, that despite the intensity ramping up, there's still a very heartwarming backseat to this. We haven't spent as much time with Genesee as I thought we would in this tale part, but when we're dealing with, you know, some of the other, uh, you know, former prisoners of war who are elderly in Mars's age, and when we're looking at Mars being like, oh my goodness, maybe, maybe I should just be honest with Genesee. It's like, yes, Mars! It's beautiful. It's just, maybe- it's just so so maybe she'll, just, maybe she'll just just be in love. Maybe everybody will just love each other. But uh, uh, oh, and my God, the thing we completely forgot to mention last week, which we should have, is that Yuki's grandmother was like Masa's school girlfriend back in Hiroshima oh or something like that. Yeah, there's this whole there's a, there's a whole love plot here. It's it's fascinating. I don't think it plays into it that much, but that's kind of the kickoff for the Genesee thing. But I going back to what we were talking about, pairing characters mm. up. Well, that's, I mean, that's sort of how Yuki knows Mars, like how they get in touch. She's like, oh, yeah, like you were, you were friends with my grandma, weren't you? And he's like, oh, I was. And he's like, read a break in a romantic So many song. years ago. Exactly. It's going to turn into a musical. Where's my Master Eye musical? It's It's got to happen. But I mean, this is the this is the eth- ethos of this like whole novel. There's so much in this novel that is like framing devices and set dressing and just building out the edges, right? Like when you're putting together a 1,000 piece 
puzzle, except that 980 of those pieces are just the edges, right? Like it's, it's building this beautiful frame and it's like, I love it. I love this as a change of pace from our regular novels. I, I don't know. It's, 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 I just want to clarify, like it is definitely not the kind of like I'd pick up on my own, but it's such an interesting change of pace, especially with an author who obviously has such vibrant like family history, seeing, seeing her express that in such an honest way. Uh, it's, I really appreciate it. And I think herds that that appreciation can rest for a moment as the music plays and we prepare to throw the gauntlets, the gauntlets oh of war down oh. to fight over this mystery. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds discussing Naomi Hirahara's Sayonara Slam. We'll be back in just a second. Are you subscribed to Death of the Reader on any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms? Be sure to go there, subscribe, and leave us a rating so you can catch our full extended chat with Naomi Hirahara and our upcoming full chat with Stella Duffy on Money in the Morgue. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here once again for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Naomi Hirahara's Sayonara Slam, chapters 7 to 11. I am in the hot seat and herds. It is time to find out what my two points are for today. You've waited until this week to give them to me, so I got I got a double whammy to solve this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, it's time to find out what all of the points are for. Now, this this is a very straightforward question. Obviously, one of the points is just, can you solve the mystery, the who, the how, and the why? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. For your second point, uh, this might be an easy point for you. This might be the hardest thing you've ever heard in your life. So get ready. Um, so yeah, we, we've met this like very large kind of cast of characters it being an open circle mystery. Um, and there is a reason why I've stopped this at, at chapter chapter 11 here. Uh, there, there is a character somewhere in the cast uh, who is secretly a, a Zainichi, which is a, a Korean Japanese person. I would like for you to pinpoint who in the cast you think is, is Zainichi. Um, and for that, you will you will earn a point, sir. Um, I know it, it may be tricky. You'll have to sift through all of your notes to figure out who it is. I'm sure it'll take you a, a very long time to determine. But that is it'll it'll take me where... literally moments, sir. Literally <laughs> moments. The question I have for you, herds, and the thing I'm scared about that maybe you're about to take the main mystery point away from me and put it on something else is why does that matter? Because I mean, it's clearly Amika. She's the only okay. character I can think of mentioned in the entire story speaking Korean, and it was in her introduction scene okay. when they're like, oh, there's someone kind of mumbling in something weird. It sounds like it might be Korean, and Amika can clearly follow it. Like, that's no no troubles there. I, interesting, interesting. The, the thing I have- Very good memory. The thing I have an issue with here, Herds, is it's like- why why is it why is it I need to figure that out? Are we about to unveil that there is some second mystery going on here with this story of the uh of the comfort women and well, the stories of prisoners of war? The the reason why I ask is because I think uh one of the kind of interesting aspects as we get into this this story is that we're going to determine uh through Naomi's narration not just who is who is guilty, but who is innocent. And Amika, like she's blustering about uh, quite all over the place. And have you completely taken her out of the equation of, of being the, the murder culprit? Absolutely. I think that particularly given that scene that we were talking about in the first part, where we basically juxtaposed her with an adjacent scene 
uh, featuring Tanji and his vaguely nationalist ideals, I, I think that that was very intentionally meant to show that Amika is a character with good intentions. And if you're saying to me that she's Zainichi, are you saying that she's actually here to try and uh, maybe work with Itai to uncover what was going on with Japanese prisoners of war? I would never confirm or deny anything. I'm just trying to get a bead on on your feelings. Because honestly, when, when I was reading this novel, uh, I, I was, you know, aware of this whole, you know, Zainichi interesting angle that a character might have and interested in why, you know, they might try and hide that sort of thing. I'm I'm just interested as to why you might suspect that uh, that Amika was Zainichi. You know, she has something to hide. Uh, maybe, maybe if that were the case, Itai might have been trying to expose that or expose something about her, her, her you know, background. You know, oh right. So you're there. saying you're saying you're trying to throw me. So you've given me a point here, sir, to throw me off the scent. I would. Never. I see the play. I, would never. I, would I follow never. the game. I would never. I know what's. Oh, I'm just curious. Oh, I'm just curious. You were about you were about to get away with that crime there. So you were about, about to escape. I am a criminal. An, an, an unhanded culprit. I'm a, a Watson, and oh. Watsons cannot be the villain, I think. Her, listen, Herds, mm. listen. I mean, like r- round of applause for the attempt. Round of applause Thank for the you. attempt. Um but no, I think Amika is if she's here trying to do some journalistic work and maybe uh, trace her Korean roots, maybe that's what the entire thing with Miss Kim is. Maybe she's related. Maybe that's the entire shtick, because I think that there are some other characters in this story who may or may not be related that may be important to the crime. You know, if we also have other related characters who are doing slightly less murdery things, then that would be a nice, you know, parallel to the thematic. A nice bit of clean writing by Naomi Hirahara, unlike your writing of this absurd- Gambit? This absurd attempt to throw me off the scent of Sunny Hirose. I am the Watson here. I am not the Moriarty. Uh, despite popular opinion, I've, I've seen the I've seen the fiction. I've seen the fan fiction. Look, I'm I'm just saying because honestly, when I was you know flicking through this story, I was strongly suspicious of Armika. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of curious. You know, you, you've you've kind of said yeah, she has good intentions, and you pushed her aside, which is fine. Well, let let's unpack this a little bit because I think that it, it's fair enough. Like she is introduced as a very present character which in a mystery novel is often going to be code for the villain, partially because murder mystery writers, as we've shown over the course of this show, have no original ideas under the sun. Sure. I I say that with a tangible sense of irony. (laughs) But I I think that this is a case where she's being used effectively as a red herring. You know, as I said, I still suspect Sunny very much for the same reasons, because I think the main thing for me is that Amika, she had opportunity, but she didn't have means. Uh, we have at no point really shown that she has access to cyanide, which was used to kill Itai. The closest we have is that she's clearly had some presence around hospitals, I think. Maybe she has connections. Who knows? Yeah, but I, I don't think that's been foreshadowed I as mean, such. I mean, you say that as though you're like, oh, it's sunny because he like, had a jewelry store, therefore cyanide. You say that like that's any less of a flimsy connection. The thing I'm pinning on Sunny here is, yes, that is totally flimsy. If... If Amika had had the means to get access to how that poison was delivered to Itai, I would say that it was just as strong. But she was in the same journalism box as a bunch of water bottles that were handed out randomly. I do not think that is means. The access to poison thing is less significant there to me. 
though I think it more is reinforcement of the point. Do you want, do you want to jump into your accusation of Sonny Harris saying now that we've had an additional six chapters? Is there anything, any new information that, that has been brought to light that might aid you here? The the thing I'm confused about here, Herds, and yeah. this is challenging. Uh, and honestly, maybe what I kind of expected you to throw at me for the second point, in which case you would you would have had it, so you would have walked away with it, uh, is that I still can't figure out quite why Sonny did it. But is that not part of the is that not part of the original point that you have to figure out the who, the how, and the why? Well, I th- I thought <laughs> that you might you kind of double down on it just to scrounge an extra point away from yeah. me. That, that's that's the original point. Let's see if we can get the why, sir. <laughs> the, the thing is, is I can comfortably say, because of our experiences talking when we first met him about Prisoner of War camps, talking later on in the novel about the Gripsholm and the Taya, which are a couple of uh, Prisoner of War vessels that were uh, used to cart Japanese-American prisoners of war around and basically put them into manual labor camps. The... The difficult thing is, is I think from the discussion we had with Stinky, the implication is that Sonny is related to someone at a prisoner of war camp. And by uh, Itai's interest in that, he was going to make public something about that. But I don't know what about that is going to lead someone to murder. Like, I don't understand it it just seems so flimsy both as my own solution and as a mystery aspect that like uh, you know coming out and saying like oh sonny this guy he was part of a prisoner of war camp and now he's going to kill someone because they're putting it in the newspaper like what what kind of a motive is that my my best guess, because we have to tie it some way to the rest of the thematics of the novel, is maybe somehow uh, Sonny's relatives were like related to what happened to the comfort women. And that's why Amika is kind of put in there as a parallel and a red herring, because they both have ties to that. But I can't really see like any grounding for that. There's nothing that really says like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, there was this one guy that I knew who was involved. And then we're like, oh my God, it was sunny all along. Like there's nothing like that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of talking, talking uh, myself in circles because that's totally where I am. I'm happy to watch you talk yourself in circles. It's, it's fascinating trying to watch you puzzle out this particular aspect of the story. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird because part of me, wants to say that Naomi is about to commit a murder mystery sin. Uh-huh. That we are about to find out that Sonny was related to someone who did something and Itai is going to like publish a story about it or something. And he's like, oh, I can't have my family on it tarnished because that's, you know, a traditionally Japanese position to take because it's a very honor driven society. But like, <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> Either either Naomi is about to unveil something that was wasn't accessible to us, that the you know the crime is committed through things that were not shown to the reader, classic murder mystery sin, or this motive is really flimsy, or I'm wrong. And I don't think it is the third. I will give you a, a very small teeny tiny hint just based on my own personal experience with this. And that is that All right. when I when I completed this novel, when I got to the chapter in which the the culprit and the method and the who and the why, when everything's revealed, I, I sat back and I said, all right, I'm going to have to go back through the book and find where that was actually hinted at. Like, yeah, like 
I I didn't read this story particularly actively, which was definitely part of the problem. You're definitely like tackling it a lot more actively than I did. But even me like finishing the novel, I was like, oh, okay. Like that's, that's the ending. Interesting. Time to figure everything out in post, <laughs> you know? I'm, here, here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to say for the sake of the show. Tell me. And I mean no disrespect to Naomi Hirahara when I say this. This is purely a strategic approach. You're such a comfy writer. I think writer. that the true motivation has not been adequately foreshadowed. I think it has to do with Sonny's experiences in Prisoners of War Camp and his personal relation. Perhaps he is related to Itai, but I genuinely do not think that that is present in the novel thus far. I think that may be a surprise reveal. Otherwise, I will stand by what I said last week, and that is my answer, sir, right. for my point. Well, I guess we'll have to we'll have to find out uh, next time on Death of the Reader as to whether your answer has been correct or if you have been misled by my cunning ploys and my white noise tactics. As much as it, I love you know them. what, Herds, if it turns out, if it turns out all along that it was Amica. I'm almost tempted to <laughs> just give you play? the point that I would have gotten wouldn't, because wouldn't that be a play? That would that would have been masterful, thoroughly devious. We'll have to see. I yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Look, you were pretty generous uh, when we did the backyard cricket story <laughs> uh, last time, but that's okay. You better for the next book, whatever you pick, you better make it a, a tough one. I promise, herds, that Otherwise, there may we'll, be train puzzles. Oh, good. That's you know what? I take it back. <laughs> you can just you can have all the points as long as you don't give me any train puzzles. <laughs> train puzzles. Uh, now that's strategy. No. <laughs> Give me an easy one. All right, next week on this show, we are talking chapters 12 to 16, I believe, of this novel, rounding out this story, Sayonara Slam by Naomi Hirahara. It's going to be a slam dunk. Herds, I hope for the sake of Naomi's honor, I hope for the sake of Naomi's honor that I am wrong, at least in my motivation. <laughs> but we, we, we shall, shall see. We shall find out. All right, well, good luck. Flex, I'll see you next week on The Pitch on Death of the Reader.